morning again. Um, so today we start the first talk in our new series on the Ten Commandments. I was meant to start last Sunday, but I was sick. So I'm very grateful and thankful for all of your prayers. Um, I'm feeling much better, uh, still a bit tired, but um, yeah, I'm very glad to be able to preach again at church. Um, before I dive into the first talk, uh, I just want to give a quick ministry update. Um, just following uh, our Vision Sunday, or Vision Meeting, I should say, uh, in the last uh, previous three weeks. I just want to let everyone know that we've established the roster for the next 10 weeks. And Amy and I would also like to have a huddle with anyone who's interested in volunteering for Crash next Sunday over morning tea. We just want to assess, I guess, the possibility on how we might have a sustainable uh, interim crash before we put in, um, I guess, our new cry room. And I'm hoping to meet with the community group leaders and hosts over lunch at my place next Sunday as well. Uh, they'll probably require some changes to our community groups, and so hopefully um, we'll be able to lock down and confirm the makeup of our community groups uh, after that meeting. The following Sunday, the 14th, I will also love to touch base with our welcoming team as well. I mentioned in the last couple of weeks that um, the eldership has uh, seek to appoint an assessor elder. Assessor elder is basically an elder from another church. Um, we thought it would be timely uh, to have an assessor elder to come in uh, to just help us navigate in terms of how our church could be um, going forward. And we're currently looking at either a minister or an elder from Balmain Presbyterian Church. And so each week I'll be uh, giving these ministry updates just to keep everyone in the loop. Uh, why don't I pray and ask that God will open our minds and hearts as we hear his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through the Bible. And so, Father, as we approach the text, um, Father, help us to know that you speak to us in a timely, relevant, and a personal way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said, today we start a new sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And historians have recognized that the Bible's Ten Commandments has significantly influenced our Western culture. So relevant that these ten rules that people in the West are really generally living by, consciously or not. These ten rules have significantly influenced what we think to be good and virtuous things that we actually take for granted. But the Ten Commandments are perhaps most relevant for a reason you may not suspect. They teach us how to be truly free. For Christians who are saved and freed from the bondage and penalty of sin through Jesus Christ, the Ten Commandments teach us how to live out the freedom that Jesus has bought for believers. And so over the next 10 weeks, as we learn about each of the Ten Commandments, my hope and prayer is that for God will use this series to change and shape our character and our hearts to live in the freedom that God had intended for us. But before we look at the first commandment, I'll start with an introduction to the Ten Commandments. And I propose that there's three keys to understanding God's intent for the Ten Commandments. Firstly, the Ten Commandments are rules for freedom, not duty. 
The Ten Commandments are not rules for us to dutifully obey in order to be saved, in order to get to heaven and God. The Ten Commandments were given to Israel after God saved and freed them from slavery in Egypt. God bought their freedom with the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. And so the Ten Commandments were then given to Israel after being freed from slavery for them as free people to live and stay free as God's people, free to worship their God and free to live as God's people, the way that God intended them to be. And this is also true for Christians. We're told in the New Testament that God had saved and freed us from the slavery of sin and Satan, so we can be free to live as God's people. Obeying the Ten Commandments is not how you get saved and be free to become God's people. Obeying the Ten Commandments is how you live as someone that is saved and freed as God's people. And when we think about freedom, we tend to think that freedom is doing whatever you want. That's how we think of freedom, the ability to do whatever you want. But true freedom is doing what we are made for. True freedom is doing what we are made for. And freedom cannot be doing whatever you want because some choices we know are destructive and enslaving. American philosopher and theologian David Bentley Hart explains this really well. He says, in more classical understanding of the matter, whether pagan or Christian, true freedom was understood as something inseparable from one's nature. To be truly free, that is to say, was to be at liberty to realize one's proper essence and so flourish as the kind of being one was. Whatever separated us from that end, even if it comes from our own wills, is a form of bondage. See, what he's saying is freedom is doing what we are made for. It's like when you look at a bird flying in the sky, you say, how free is the bird? But what if the bird says, I'm not free, I want to swim under the water like a fish. I want to live and have the freedom to live like a fish. Of course, when a bird does that, the bird doesn't become more free. The bird actually loses its freedom because it's not built to live underwater. And so by obeying the Ten Commandments, we're doing what we are made for. We experience freedom by honoring God's design for us. And so the Ten Commandments are rules that show us our design. They are also rules for loving God and loving others. Jesus summed it up with the Ten Commandments as saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments shows us that the essence of our design is to be in love relationships. And when we obey the Ten Commandments, we learn how to have flourishing and loving relationships with one another, and we also learn how to have a flourishing and loving relationship with God. And so the first four commandments shows us how to love God, and the following six commandments shows us how to love each other. And how the commandments are ordered is also important. It shows us that how we worship God will relate to how we treat each other. When we rightly love and worship God, we will rightly love others. But when we fail to trust God and worship other things, we will fail to live rightly towards others. 
So therefore sin, disobedience or failing to live according to God's design has its roots in failing to worship God. And as we look at this in more detail throughout this series, we'll unpack this further, commandment by commandment. Now the third key to understanding the Ten Commandments is that Jesus came to fulfill the Ten Commandments. He came to fulfill the rules of life, of true freedom and true love, because Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have come to uh, fulfill them. In other words, Jesus' life and teaching enriches and completes the intent of the Ten Commandments to live the life of freedom and to live the life of love. And so for each of the Ten Commandments, we will look at a New Testament passage to see its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But I want to say now that the key aspect on how Jesus Christ fulfills the commandments is that Jesus gets the commandments into our hearts. So that obedience is not about external behaviours, but obedience is about changing our hearts, changing our desires, our motives through the Spirit of God when we receive Jesus Christ as our Saviour. That's the key aspect of how Jesus fulfills the commandments. So they're not external rules, but it's an internal heart change. And so these are the three keys to understanding the Ten Commandments. They are rules for freedom, not duty, rules for loving God and others, and Jesus fulfills the rules of freedom and love by changing our hearts from the inside out. So finally, let's now look at the first commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 to 7 says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The people of Israel were to not worship other gods because of what God has done. That's his logic. He is the only God who rescued Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. No other God. And so it makes sense that they are to worship no other gods before him. What God is saying to Israel through this commandment is, why would you trust any other so-called gods? I am the mighty one who defeated Pharaoh. I am the one who saved you out of Egypt. You can trust me. By my gracious and saving actions, you can trust me. But note that the first commandment is not suggesting that there are, in fact, other gods. The Christian faith is monotheism, meaning there's no other god should be worshipped because in reality there are no other gods. The gods of this, words, of this world are so-called gods, fake gods, they're idols. And worshipping idols was a constant problem for Israel because they went from place to place as they journeyed towards the promised land. And as they went from place to place, they were always tempted to worship the other gods of the other nations. The problem with Israel was they always wanted a little bit of God, the Lord, and a little bit of the other gods. They didn't completely reject Yahweh, their God, but they always wanted a little bit of God, their Lord, and a little bit of the other nation's God. So, for example, they wanted their Lord God, Ben Baal, which was another God. They wanted their Lord God and Asherah, which was another God of another nation. But as we look at Israel, we can really relate to them, can't we? Because we're also very tempted to have a little bit of Christianity or, and a little bit of other religion or a little bit of other philosophies and a little bit of other worldviews 
or we want a little bit of pursuing Jesus and we want a little bit of pursuing other things. The first commandment shows us that God cannot be worshipped rightly if he is worshipped alongside any other. Because at the heart of the first commandment is the core for exclusive love. To have no other gods before me literally means no other gods in front of my face, in my presence or beside me. And so marriage is actually a good analogy for the first commandment. You cannot have a both-and relationship with your spouse, at least not for very long. Suppose a husband came home and said, hey honey, it's good to see you. I want to introduce you to someone that is very special to me. She's lovely and I'm going to spend some more time with her, but also I want to spend a lot of time with you. I think you two will get along fine. I think you guys will be great friends. What would the wife say in that situation? Well, the wife would say, look, it's me or her. Make up your mind. You cannot have another woman before me. Would anyone think that she's being cruel, proud, unfair, intolerant for saying it's me or her? No. She has every right to be jealous and angry. Actually, we'll be concerned if she wasn't angry about that proposal. See, marriage is a relationship that demands the forsaking of all others. Marriage is a relationship that demands forsaking of all others. And it's the same with God. Love is at the very heart of the first commandment. If we truly love God, we will love no one else and nothing else like we love God. There can be no both and in our relationship with God. We love and worship him above all other things because he alone is God. Therefore, we need to be very aware of other so-called gods. We must be wary and beware of following them, beware of turning to them and beware of worshipping them. And that means in the first instance that we should not follow the gods of the other religions of this world. It means you can't be a Christian and a Hindu, or a Christian and a Muslim, or a Christian and a Buddhist, or a Christian and anything else. It means to not to look to any other source than the Christian God for guidance and help. This point is probably most obvious. But the biggest challenge I think we can all admit for most of us is these functional gods, things that operate like a God in your life, things that you look towards to, for meaning, hope, satisfaction. Jesus gives us the example of money in the Bible reading that we just read. He says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus pictures money as a type of functional God, as an alternative master that you could live for. I mean, worshipping money doesn't involve setting up a money altar in your lounge room, but it does involve living for money alone, relying on money alone, loving money and trusting money but there are other functional gods. Jesus used money as just one example. We could worship family, success, our image, power, popularity. So many things that we could actually treat as 
a functional God. They become these God substitutes. And it's, of course, our attitude towards them. And it can be very difficult to determine sometimes. Because many of these things are actually good things that we turn and make as God things. And this is at the heart of sin. To not worship the true God and worship something else instead. The Apostle Paul says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. We all exchange the true and glorious God for a pathetic substitute. And so to be free from being foolish by the worship of false gods, religious or functional, and to be free from God's righteous jealousy and anger for not loving and worshipping him, we are to turn from idols and turn to the true God in repentance and faith. And 1 Thessalonians promises that we will receive the offer of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 1 says, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus was the one who always obeyed the first commandment. He never ever followed any other God. If we read through the Gospels, we know that he was tempted by Satan who said that all of the kingdom of, of the world would be given to him if he bowed down and worshipped Satan. And Jesus replied, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Jesus always obeyed the first commandment, even at the point of temp- being tempted by Satan himself. He succeeded where we failed. And then he swaps places with us He takes our punishment and gives us his obedience and righteousness. And so when we are convicted about having other little functional gods, when we're convicted about our two-timing of God, we can turn and run to Jesus and be glad and grateful that he forgives us and saves us from being enslaved to these idols. Jesus' forgiveness and salvation changes our heart to continue to turn to Jesus and worship him exclusively because Jesus' death and sacrifice reminds us that there is no other gods that has saved us and loved us like Jesus. There is no other gods, there is no other idols who would die and sacrifice himself for us. Jesus' death and sacrifice motivates us to obey the first commandment from our hearts because in his death and sacrifice, Jesus tells us there is no other God who has saved you from the bondage of sin. There is no other God who has saved you from false idols. So you can trust me, Jesus says. There is no one, no one who has ever done that. Therefore, I am the true and living God. Turn to me and you will be saved. Why would we worship and love anything else when we see Jesus save us on the cross? And if you've gotten to the point that you've realized that you've been living for idols, turned a good thing into a God thing, 
Turn from your idols and turn to Jesus to love and worship the true and living God. Turn to Jesus today and you will be saved and you will be truly free. Free to love God, free to love others the way that God intended for your life to be. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us to turn from our idols. We want to fight against them, throw them out. Help us to confess to you that you are the true God. You are the one who rescued us who loved us through your Son. And so help us to love you exclusively, to stay loyal to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.